Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and we hope you are encouraged by today's message. Bible, go ahead and open it up. Who still has, does anyone still have like a leather Bible? I always bring my leather Bible with me. Anyone got leather? Genuine leather. Come on, hold it up. Hold it proud. There, we're few. We're just a remnant these days, right? I, I like leather bound Bible. All I'm saying is I'd like to see you cast the demon out with an iPad, okay? It's just, it's not going to happen. But um, if you have your Bible, let's open up to the book of John. We're going to get to John chapter five in, uh, in just a second. And um, it's a privilege to be able to share it with you tonight. And uh, I'm just gonna share for a little bit and we're gonna pray for some people. We're gonna believe God's gonna do something uh, great. And I love having our students in here tonight and uh, joining us for a lot of Wednesdays here and there. And it's great, man. It's just a family, right? It's just a big family room. That's all that it is. And I'm grateful for it. Who was in church last Sunday? Man, you heard Pastor Stovall's message. Wasn't it amazing, man? It's just been absolutely incredible. I am, I'm so excited about the spring that is ahead of us, the spring season, as we uh, lead up to Easter, right? These, these 52 days, I mean, now we're kind of started into it as Pastor was talking, but these days leading up to Passover, leading up to Easter, I know they're going to be awesome. And so, man, make sure you're in church as often as you are in town. If you're not traveling, get into uh, church because you don't want to miss what all is going to be shared. It's going to be great. Unpacking a lot of really awesome stuff as we lead up to that uh, Easter Sunday. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to share tonight and just play my part in what God has given me. This word that I'm gonna share with you tonight, um, Pastor Stephen Mencia, um, John Phelps, a couple other guys uh, can tell you this. This word God gave me at the end of uh, last year. He gave it to me at the end of last year. I really felt like it was, uh, it was specific for our church. In fact, over the last two weekends, I've been to uh, our church family in Amelia Island and Fort Lauderdale. I've shared this word with them. And this is my first time now being able to share it with the Jacksonville family because I think it was something that God wanted all of our church family and all of our uh, locations to hear. And so I'm grateful that I get to do that tonight. And uh, in John chapter five, I wanna also welcome in our campuses. Can we put our hands and welcome our campuses? Uh, Julington Creek and... Orange Park, shout out Pastor Ian, Pastor Bob. I love you guys. And we're glad to have you uh, with us tonight as well. John chapter five, starting in verse one. If you grew up in church, this is probably a really familiar um, story uh, right here. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate a pool. Everyone say a pool. Which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Maybe your version says porches. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. And one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Just by a show of hands, raise your hand tonight at all locations if you are 38 years or younger. 38 years or younger. Look at, look at all, the, that's, a, we have, that's a lot of, that's a, we're a young church, right? That's a lot of young people. So imagine for the entirety of your life, you've been struggling. That 38 years, this man has been paralyzed and lame. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked the man, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. When I'm trying to get in, someone goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and he walked. And on the day which this took place was the what? We've been doing a little bit of Sabbath teaching around here the last few months, right? This was on the Sabbath that Jesus did this miracle. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and the law forbids you to carry your mat. Now let's just pause right there. What we find in scripture is that Jesus loves to heal on the Sabbath. For those of us who have maybe been honoring the Sabbath in our homes, uh, 
you know, now that we've been in this new teaching as Pastor Stovall's been unpacking a lot of this, maybe you're honoring with your family, your spouse, or maybe even just a group of friends. You're honoring the Sabbath in your home weekly now. I pray because I know what it's done in my household. I pray you too also are experiencing just the peace and the rest and the healing that comes along with that special day, amen? That's what it's there for. It's a day that brings wellness. It's a day that brings wholeness into our life when we'll honor it and observe it. And Jesus loves to heal on the Sabbath. In fact, if you read your Bible, what you'll find out is Jesus uh, recorded in scripture, he does seven miracles on the Sabbath. Now follow me on this. Six of those miracles, Jesus heals a physical infirmity in someone's body. But the seventh miracle, he casts a demonic spirit out of someone. Now, I think seven is obviously a unique number. It, it's, it's a biblical numerology. It represents wholeness and completion. But, but watch this. Jesus, for six of those, he demonstrates that he has power over bad symptoms. But on the seventh, he shows us that he does not just have power over bad symptoms, but he has authority over the system of evil that's at play in the earth. See, see, this is, this is where we have to take ourselves. A lot of us just know that God has power over bad stuff. No, he has authority over every darkness and evil that tries to mess with our life. He doesn't just have power, he has authority. And the good thing about you and I is that when we are in Christ, come on, not only do we get power, but we also get authority in the name of Jesus. We, we, we walk with that as well. And he demonstrates this as he does these seven Sabbath miracles in scripture, right? Verse 11, but he replied, this is the man, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow that told you to pick up your mat and walk? But the man who was healed, I had no idea who it was for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. And later, right? So now fast forward later in the day, later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. And the man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at work to this very day and I too am working. Isn't that interesting? You see, here's what I found about the Pharisees and religious people. They don't mind you having faith. They just don't want your faith to help you. Right? They just don't want your faith to help you. And Jesus is doing this stuff on the Sabbath and they get frustrated. It's almost like they're saying, Jesus, you can't do this on the Sabbath. And Jesus is too nice. What Jesus should have said is, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the, I own this day. This is my day, right? I can do what I want on my day. You know what I mean? Like you ever have a birthday and you're like your spouse is like, it's your day. You can do whatever you want. That's his day. I, this is my day. If I want to heal on my day, I'm going to heal on my day. He's Lord of the Sabbath, right? And we're gonna look at this passage of scripture. I pray that the Lord speaks to you tonight as we get ready. But um, if you're taking notes, I want you to uh, write this down. Uh, I've entitled this message, Off the Clock, Off the Clock, Off the Clock. So Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word. Once again, that is sharper than a two-edged sword. It's better than any other book that we have on our shelves at home. It is alive, it is breathing, it is active, it is authoritative. And Lord, tonight, as the word is preached, I pray that we would see things that we've never seen before, that we would have open hearts to not just, not just hear, but Lord, hear and obey, hear and receive what you wanna give us tonight. Lord, we love you and we pray it all in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Off 
the clock. Um, real quick, as I set this up, I had two jobs in high school. Um, my first job that I had in high school, I worked part-time for a renovation company. We did all kinds of renovations, uh, you know, in household. I learned how to lay tile and do some electrical work and just, you know, little bits of pieces here and there. My second job was I worked at a grocery store in high school. And uh, at first, when I went to the grocery store, I started out as like one of the baggers. I was a bag boy. I bagged the groceries. I took them out to the car for the nice old ladies. I would bring some carts back in to the grocery store. But then I guess I proved faithful as a bag boy. So I got promoted to cashier, right? Now, now you get to get, you handle the money. You know what the cashier's does. I quickly found out though in the grocery store business that the cashier is actually the worst job in the grocery store because you can't move your entire shift. You are stuck in this three by three box this is me, this is my whole shift, I can't, I can't move. But then I proved faithful as a cashier and then I graduated into the gold mine of the grocery store operation. And that my friends is the produce department. It gets no better. Now you're asking yourself, Clay, why didn't you wanna work in the bakery? Listen, you don't wanna work in the bakery because those jokers have to get to work at like 5 a.m. to bake all that bread and those cakes that you're gonna come buy up late. I, I was not about to wake up early. Pastor Clay, why didn't you wanna work in the meat and the poultry department? You don't wanna work in that department because those guys leave last. They gotta sanitize that whole place every day. They leave way too late. You wanna work in the produce department because you show up at a reasonable time, and as long as everything is stocked and out on the floor, I go back into the cooler and I eat strawberries in Jesus' name. That literally was my job. Some of y'all are like, I'm working way too hard for minimum wage. You need to go to Publix tomorrow, right? Y'all got, got any jobs in the produce? I heard it was a great spot. So I, I loved it, right? But I've worked jobs that I enjoyed. I worked jobs that I didn't enjoy. Anyone ever work a job you didn't enjoy? You know, I won't ask you if it's the current job, but like you've worked one. <laughs> Staff starts raising their hand, I'd be messed up. But, um, right, we all know what it's like to work a job you didn't enjoy. And what I found out working jobs I did not enjoy is I would always watch the clock to see when my shift was gonna end, right? You know that feeling, you're just, gosh, can I get out of here? Is it time to leave? Is it time to go? How much longer do I have? Have you ever noticed that when you watch the clock, time seems to go by so incredibly slow? Isn't time an interesting thing? Like when you're having fun, when you're doing something you're really enjoying, boy, time flies. But then when you're doing something you don't enjoy or it's difficult, time goes by so, so slow. Like every now and then, and I do mean just barely every now and then, I like to go to the gym. You're like, really, it's obvious. And so, uh, Right, I'll go to the gym, like I'm not an hour in the gym kind of guy, I'm like, I'm gonna knock out like 30 minutes tops, that's a sitcom, I can do one sitcom and then I gotta go, right? And sometimes I'll be in the gym, I'll go, and I'm in there, I'm lifting weights, I'm doing push-ups, I'm doing whatever it is, and I got a good sweat going on now, I feel really good, I'm huffing and puffing, boy, I feel good right now, it feels good to be back in the gym, these are my people, all right? And it's like, you know, I'm feeling good, and I'm like, surely my time has got to about be over. I look down, folks, it's like 12 minutes. I've been in the gym, right? Isn't that interesting? When you're doing something you don't really enjoy, time goes by so, so slow. But here I am, I'm a dad of a four-year-old and it feels like time's just flying by with my little boy growing up, right? I'm like, Lord, can you please just slow time down so I can enjoy these moments with my son, right? Speed it back up when I go to the gym, but slow it down when I'm with my little boy. 
time, time. Particularly time goes very slow when it's moments and seasons that are filled with hardship, filled with lack, filled with difficulty, filled with trial. Everyone say trial. Someone say hardship. You know what I've learned? I'm 34 years old and I don't know everything. I have much to learn, but here's one thing that I have learned is that what makes trials difficult, what makes hardship really, really difficult, it's not the depth of the valley and it's not even the level of darkness. You know what makes them really tough is the duration. The simple fact that you don't know how long it's gonna last. I'm convinced that we could walk through some of the most difficult seasons and things that life could ever throw at us if we only knew when it would be over. If we only knew when that hard time would be lifted, boy, we could walk through some really messed up stuff. But what makes it so difficult is you can't know. You don't know. And that's what makes it to another month. Is it another year? How long will this last until I get married? until the kids are grown, until I make more money, until I graduate, like we can't know, and that's the hardest part. And in John chapter five, with the case of this lame man at the pool of Bethesda, his clock is still running at 38 years. It's a long time. 38 years and counting. And for some of us in here tonight, listen, your trial, your difficulty, your hardship, the thing that you've been praying to get breakthrough on, maybe it hasn't been an actual 38 years, but to you, it feels about that long. We're just gonna be honest tonight in church because I'm gonna preach this message and then someone's gonna get a freedom breakthrough before you leave tonight, right? It feels like it's been about 38 years. I wrote some things down. It feels like some of you, you've been waiting 38 years for the right person to come into your life so that you could start a marriage and a family. feels like you've been waiting 38 years for that healing, whether it's emotional or physical or mental. feels like you've been waiting 38 years for that restoration. Some of you, it feels like you've been waiting 38 years for that career opportunity to open up so you can finally step into whatever you feel like God's put in your heart to do. Maybe you feel like you've been waiting 38 years for peace. 38 years for joy, 38 years for fulfillment. Imagine being in the same condition for 38 years, especially at a period in history when the average life expectancy was a lot closer to 40 than 80. So imagine our guy now in John chapter five, he's thinking to himself, 38 years in, he's probably thinking, this is it. This, this is my life. This is as good as it's ever gonna be. This is just my lot. Everyone else is gonna live a great dream. Look at all these other happy people. Look at them healthy and wealthy and blessed, but, but this is just what all God had for me. This, this is it. This is all I'm ever gonna experience. Listen to me, church. No matter how long you've been waiting for whatever it is you're waiting for, and I even bet that since the fasting season, I know all of us, we're praying for different things. We're believing God for different things. But listen to me. No matter what you are waiting on right now, the clock must never be your focus. If you're taking notes, write this, write this down. The clock builds despair, but Jesus builds hope. The clock builds despair, but Jesus builds hope. If you sit around as you're waiting for God to, to move on your behalf or deliver something, but all you ever do is watch the passing days and watch the time go by, it is only ever gonna bring despair and disappointment to you as you watch another, another round of the clock go by and go by and go by. And the truth of the matter is this, is that some of us, what you were believing God to do something in 2018, 
but yet 365 days passed in 2018 and it didn't happen like you thought it was gonna happen. And I'm a pastor, so I'll say this. A lot of times at the beginning of years, at the beginning of a new year, pastors all over the nation and all over the world will stand on stages and will you know, try to preach inspiring messages that motivate people to believe and have big faith. And this can be the year God does it and God's gonna do it. And in your heart of hearts, you so badly want to believe that 2019 is the year. Like you really, really wanna believe it. You really wanna have faith for it. The only problem is you have 38 years that's trying to convince you otherwise. You have 38 proverbial years behind, behind you that's, that's weighing you down, even though you, you really wanna go into this rest of the year, man, full of faith that God's gonna do it. Oftentimes when I read scripture, I find it's best to put myself as, as, as well as I can in the seat of the person that I'm examining. And so I want you to think about this man in John chapter five for just a second. We don't know that he was born lame. We just know that it's been 38 years. And, and imagine, imagine at, at first as lameness struck his life, maybe a, a friend had heard of this pool, this special pool that, that heals people when an angel of the Lord comes at appointed times and stirs up the waters, the first person in gets healed. And so a friend brings him to the pool and the friend says, listen, man, all you gotta do is you just stay here. When the water stirs up, man, you just jump in, you're gonna be healed. I would imagine at first, our man in John chapter five is probably thinking to himself, wait, that it's as easy as that? Like, that's, that's not even that, I mean, this is, I'm not even gonna be lame that long. This is so easy. This, there's a great little formula right here. All I gotta do is get in the pool, right? This is amazing. And, and I would imagine he comes and, and here he is now and he's, he's at the front. Can I, can I come and hang down here for just a second? Is that all right? Is that all right? I'm just gonna sit right here. This, is, this was reserved for me. Imagine our guy right here and, I would imagine in the first year, in the early days, boy, he's on the edge of his seat. He's up close, right next to the water, just, just to get ready. And boy, here he is, and he's waiting, and the water's stirred, and boy, here he goes to get in. But, but someone gets in ahead of him. He's probably thinking like, okay, all right, well, that, that's just the first, that, that dude's probably been here a while. Like, he, he deserved it, good for you, buddy. You know what I mean? Like, but, but now, you know, now it's my turn. He's like looking around, like making sure, okay, it's me, right? Happens again, gets beat again gets beat again, again, again. Imagine like year one, 365 days passed and he didn't get in the pool. He's probably thinking to himself like, okay, it's a, hey, it's all right, that's just, that's just year one. Year two is my year. I feel really good about year two. Year two is gonna be my year, right? But then year two comes and goes and he got beat every single time in year two. And now he's at three, four, and five. He's probably thinking to himself at this point, okay, it's a little, little harder than I thought, but... Uh, but I mean, I'm, I'm gonna get in the pool. It's not like I'm not gonna get in the pool. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely gonna get in the pool, but now he's passing years five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. With every passing year, faith begins to decrease. Doubt begins to, you ever been there? You ever been there in life where you've been waiting so long to see a move of God that it just becomes a little more difficult with every passing year? Your heart really wants it, but now you're stacking up years behind you. It's not, it's not really helping the situation. At this point, he's passing years 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, right? Frustration is turning into disappointment. Disappointing is, turn, is turning into disbelief. Disbelief has now led to despair, absolute hopelessness. 
Imagine as we round the years in the 20s and in the early 30s, by this time he has seen so many other people get in the pool, get their wish, get their miracle, get their answer. They've moved on in life. They're building businesses and families. They're off and doing lots of great stuff, but he is still lame, still at the pool, and still by himself. You ever felt like that? You ever felt like everyone else is getting their answer and you're not getting your answer? You ever felt like, like Lord, Lord, I've been praying for a promotion. Why'd they get the promotion before me? Why'd they get healed before me? Why'd they get pregnant before me? Why'd they get married before me? Why'd they get, you ever felt like that? Can we just be honest in church? Is that, is that okay? You ever felt like you were just always in last place? What's going on? And, and the man's probably frustrated. And I don't know this man in John chapter five, but I know humanity. And if I know humanity, like I think I know humanity, by the time year 38 comes around, he doesn't even care anymore. He's so disappointed, so hopeless. He doesn't even care. And then Jesus shows up and it's in verse six. Everything changes when Jesus shows up. And Jesus asked this question. He looks at the man in verse six and he says, do you want to get well? Now, at first glance, that seems like a very insensitive, ridiculous question like, Jesus, what are you talking about? I'm sure he would rather his legs work than not work. <laughs> like, what do you mean, do you wanna get well? That's, that seems like an ignorant question, Jesus. But then I'm reminded, listen, Jesus doesn't ask ignorant questions. In fact, Jesus doesn't even ask questions because he needs an answer. When Jesus asks a question, it's for the benefit of whoever he's asking. He needs no more information, right? And so then I begin to think, well then why does Jesus ask this question? If I could just take a creative liberty in, in this moment, just one time, it's, just, it's my message, I'm gonna preach it like I want to. So, um, right? I, imagine Jesus, the Bible says a great number of sick people are here, a great number. As Jesus walks around, he probably sees people all up in the front. Boy, the front's crowded. Right around the pool, boy, it's crowded. Everyone's on the edge of their seat. Everyone's full of faith. Everyone's expectant. Everyone's ready to go. And he, and he sees their posture. But then as he walks around, he eventually perhaps gets his way to the back and he finds our man way back here in the back, 38 years. Maybe he's sitting lackadaisical. Maybe there's nothing about his posture that says faith. There's nothing about his posture that says, I'm expectant, I'm ready. Maybe he's just lounging, he's given up, he's lost all hope. And so maybe Jesus sees the posture of others and he sees the posture of our man right here and that prompts him to ask the question, do you, do you even want it? Do you even want to get well because the way you look would lead me to believe otherwise. So many of us, we've been waiting for so long, you don't even realize it, but your posture's changed. And in the earlier days of whatever it is that you're in the middle of walking through, you had a posture that was still full of faith. It was hard and it was real and it was nasty and it was coming at you, whatever it was, and it hurt, but you had a posture of faith and you had a posture of expectancy and you had a posture of readiness and you were, boy, you were fired up and you woke up every day praying faith-filled prayers, believing that God was gonna do it and today was the day it was gonna happen, but now days upon days have stacked up and months upon months have stacked up and maybe even years upon years have stacked up and your posture's changed. Tonight, some of us are gonna leave and you're gonna get your posture back. You're gonna get the right posture back. 
Because if there's one thing we know about on earth as it is in heaven, is that any moment is a good moment for Jesus to intervene. Any moment is a good moment for the miracle to happen. My posture needs to be ready for when Jesus walks by me. And Jesus says, do you even want to get well, right? The clock builds despair. Jesus builds hope. Watching the clock leads to all kinds of trouble, but watching Jesus leads to hope. So watch this. Instead of walking through life saying, God, you've got this long before it's too late. Instead of us putting our timeline on God, instead of us putting our calendar on God, perhaps we actually sit by with the right posture, faith-filled, expectant, knowing that the one who knows the end from the beginning is faithful to see my need. He's faithful to know when to move, how to move, whatever it's going to take to get the job done. I trust his timeline. I'm going to put it all back in the hands of King Jesus because he knows better than I know. That's why the Bible tells us his ways are not my ways. His thoughts are not my thoughts. Someone asked me one time, Pastor Clay, what do you think about unanswered prayers? That's a deep question. Does God, you know, I, I think that could go a million different ways about God actually answering. Maybe the answer is no, and you just didn't like it, okay? But like, but like, what do you think about unanswered prayers? I get the question. I heard it said like this one time. Listen, God might not always answer your prayers, but he never wastes your faith. Your faith's not wasted in the process as you wait on God to move on your behalf, right? And you have an option as you sit in trials and hard times. You can watch the clock or you can watch Jesus, but you can't watch both. You can watch the passing days that will only lead to more despair or you can watch Jesus. Look what Hebrews tells us to do in chapter 12. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Can I just pause right there, the race marked out for us? You know why sometimes in life you feel like you're in last place? You will always feel like you're in last place when you try to persevere into someone else's race. You're always gonna feel like someone got, man, everyone's getting into the pool ahead of me. Everyone's moving on ahead of me and here I lowly on me, here I am stuck. You're always gonna feel like you're in last place when you're trying to keep up with other people's race, but you will never be in last place if you just persevere in the own race and the own lane that God's given you to run. All of us persevering, all of us, right? Persevere, the race marked out for us. What does it say? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Scripture literally tells you where to look. We don't watch the passing days. We don't watch the clock. We don't watch other people. We fix our eyes on Jesus. You can watch the clock or you can watch Jesus. And as we begin into this new year and all that it holds ahead of us. We're just in the first quarter, but all that is in front of us this year, some of you are still very discouraged because in years past, you've had faith and it didn't produce what you thought it was gonna produce. You know, Proverbs chapter 13 and 12 actually says this. It does say, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Now, the only reason I point that out is because I just want some of you to know that the emotion that you feel when you've still been waiting for a long period of time is a very real emotion. It's not like, come on, just pick yourself up, get moving, suck it up. No, it's like a real thing. Like, like scripture wants you to know, it actually does. Hope deferred gives you a sick heart. But the only way to put hope back into a hopeless heart is by fixing our eyes on King Jesus. <laughs> fixing our eyes, right? I love pastor's message this last Sunday, right? Coming back to our first love. 
So many of us, man, you've been caught up in other things. You've watched other things in your head. Boy, you've created formulas. You've created your own pools. And you thought, surely if I just did this and did this, it's gonna lead to this. But yet there was no fulfillment in that. There was no healing in that. And you had all of this stuff going on, but I'm just here to tell you, it's time we get back to the simplest of simple things, just fixing our eyes again on King Jesus. The fact that he is coming again, he is bringing a kingdom with him. It'll be a kingdom of restoration. It'll be a kingdom of healing, a kingdom of faith. Come on. All of it is found when we just look upon him again. Just look at him again. But you can't watch him and watch everything else. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Can I give you some help right now with how to have the right perspective in the middle of a hard time? Let me help your perspective, please. Let me help your perspective. Have you ever wondered about the deep life extensive question, why am I here? What's the purpose? Well, why, why am I here? I'm so frustrated right now, God. I feel like I'm so far behind. Why am I even here? If I disappeared tomorrow, no one would even care. Why am I here? Look what James tells us in the New Testament. Look at James chapter one. Count it all what? Joy. Say it louder than that. What? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Time out. James, what? <laughs> James, who are you, James? What do you mean? Have joy, count it as joy when I meet trials. I know a lot of people who encounter trials, but in very few of those people do I see joy bubbling up. But yet James says it's possible to experience joy in the midst of trials and hard times. This single verse, though perhaps not a direct answer to that big life question, it does indicate that you and I, listen, we're not just here for laughs. We're not just here to run a successful business or become well-known or famous or earn a name for ourselves. We are here for purposes that require us to go through a lifetime of challenges and as scripture would say, trials of various kinds. But as we do that, watch, we demonstrate and display the superiority of life with God. That's why you're here. You see, this is why God allows believers to experience the same thing that non-believers experience. Like believers still get cancer. Believers still get fired from the job. Believers still have hard times in their families. Like, like we experience all the same stuff. The only difference is as a believer, you are the only one capable of producing joy in the middle of the trial and hard time. This is why joy is not normal, joy is supernatural. You can't craft joy in a basement. You don't get joy just because you got a couple wins under your belt doing something. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Joy only comes to those of us who have been saved by the power of God, filled with the Spirit of God. Joy. You can walk through a trial and have joy. You can live in the middle of a hard time and have joy. I know a lot of people with a hard time. But where are the people that are gonna bubble up joy in the midst of the hard time? So let me ask you this question. In the middle of whatever you're walking through right now, in the middle of whatever you are experiencing that is tough and trying and hard, what can you do to demonstrate the superiority of life with God? Because there's a difference 
and people will take note of the difference. We've been talking all kind of, preaching all kind of stuff about demonstration how we demonstrate our loyalty to Jesus, how we demonstrate the fact that we, we are set apart, we are sanctified individuals. I'm here to tell you, you start demonstrating joy in the middle of a hard time and people will take note of your demonstration. And they will wonder and they will ask questions because when they walk through that same trial of various kind, it did not produce in them what it's producing in you. And they will wonder with shock and awe and amazement as to why you can do that and they were unable. And then all of a sudden the door's now open for you to say that's because joy only comes from one individual. His name is King Jesus. And when you demonstrate loyalty to King Jesus and his lordship, all of a sudden, you now, it's, like, it's, like a, it's like a box of goodies has now been opened up and things like joy and thankfulness and gratitude. And it, it is all now overwhelming in you, right? Peace comes. It's what he brings. Joy is so supernatural. As the band comes up and joins me, let's look at this one more time. And I wanna show you something that I never, never saw before right here. And we're gonna pray. Look how Jesus responds when he sees a person in the middle of a trial. He sees a person in the middle of frustration, a person in the middle of disappointment. Verse six, when Jesus saw him lying there, he learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. He asked him, do you wanna get well? Remember, Jesus doesn't need answers. It's for the benefit of whoever he's asking. Sir, the invalid replied. Notice he has to put his eyes on Jesus. He, he can no longer watch the pool and talk to Jesus at the same time. He, he can't watch what everyone else is doing in this moment. He has to look away from the formula that has been created that he has looked at for 38 years that he thought he would find his healing. He has to look away from the formulas, look away from everything else. He has to fix his eyes again on Jesus, right? And watch what happens as he connects and fix his eyes on Jesus. He says, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Now, what I find interesting in the very next verse is that Jesus pays no attention to his excuse. <laughs> you ever tried to give Jesus an excuse and you just didn't feel like he heard you, right? It's because he didn't, okay? So, right? We, we give excuses to the creator of the universe. We give excuses to the God who owns everything. We give excuses to the one who is peace who is joy, who is healing, who has all of it, right? He, in fact, he doesn't just have it, he is it. We get so, so crazy when you think about it. It really is laughable that we offer up excuses. Jesus doesn't even pay attention. He just looks at the man. He says, get up, just, just pick up your mat. And at once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and he walked. Now watch this, Jesus knew something right here. He sees this man, and if I could tell you, this is like the clay extended version, right? He kind of looks at the man and he just says, hey, uh, having a tough time getting to the pool, huh? Looks like you've been sitting here a long time. Looks like you've been a lot, a lot of years. I mean, some dude was telling me you've been here like 38 years. That's a, that's a while. Doesn't look like you're getting there anytime soon from the looks of it. Other people are beating you, huh? You put a lot of stock into this formula over here, didn't you? You thought, you thought that was gonna be the ticket. You've been waiting here a long, long time, but here's, here's what I'm gonna do. Um, since you're not gonna get to the pool, you're frankly, like, you're never gonna get to that water. We, we both know that. Hopefully we both know, right? You're never gonna get to that water. So what I'm gonna do 
is I'm gonna bring the water to you. Now, isn't this exactly what Jesus did for humanity? When God looked down from heaven and he knew that mankind was never gonna get to the water of salvation, we were never gonna get to the water of redemption and restoration and sanctification like you weren't good enough, you didn't have enough righteousness, you didn't have enough good stored up. We were never getting to the water. And so what did a great God, the God above all gods, the God who sits next to no one else, what did he do on behalf of you and I? He sent his one and only son, Jesus, to bring the water to us. Need I remind you that the book of John says, Jesus says of himself, I am the living water. And when you drink from me, you will never thirst again. He says, I'm the bread of life. And when you eat from me, you'll never be hungry again. You were never getting to the water. So he brought the water to you. You're like, what do I have to be thankful for? Sometimes in the most desperate moments of trial and hardship, you literally sit down and you're like, I have nothing to be thankful for. No, you can always be thankful that water got brought to you. When you weren't getting it, it was not, you had, if you thought you could catch righteousness, it'd be like trying to catch a train at high speed. You were never getting the water, he brought the water to you. He gave you a drink when no one else was coming to give you a drink. And for those of us who've received living water, you know that it, it quenches everything. I don't thirst anymore. I don't have to worry anymore. I don't, I don't have to live in anxiety and depression anymore. Those are real things. And the enemy will still attack you with all of it but I don't have to have it. He brought a drink. And then Jesus says to the man, he sees him later. And I never noticed this in scripture, but the Bible is so good because even for those of us who are preachers, you can try to preach it as good as you want, but it always preaches better back to you. <laughs> and he says to the man, he says, see, you are well again. Sees him later in the temple, see you are well again. I thought to myself, hold on, again? What do you mean again? See, this is how we know this man wasn't born this way. Again implies that there was a time in his life when he was well, but through a series of events, he became unwell. But now because of what Jesus has done, he is well. Another version says whole. See that you have wholeness again and I believe the word Lord gave me this word and I've shared it now in several of our locations and I'm sharing it with you tonight because some of us because of what you have been waiting on and the length of which you have been waiting on it it has left you unwell some of you are unwell emotionally you're unwell spiritually your, your faith is unwell you're unwell mentally so thankful for Dr. Henry Cloud that's going to come and in just a, a couple weeks and he's gonna share and do a seminar, you need to get there. He's gonna talk about mental health and spiritual health. But some of us, you're unwell mentally. You're unwell physically. But I just wanted to bring this word to remind you again tonight of the goodness of our God, Jesus, and that he is the restorer of wellness. He's the restorer of wholeness. 
And if you will just fix your eyes again, fix your eyes. So, so if I fix my eyes again, is it all gonna change right now? I can't promise you it's all gonna change tomorrow morning. But I know this, hope can be ignited again. Because you can watch the clock or you can watch Jesus, but you can't watch both. And it's only Jesus that brings hope. It's only Jesus that puts hope back into a hopeless heart. So with every head bowed and every eye closed right now, I wanna pray. Because tonight, hope is gonna be restored in someone's heart. You've been waiting, you've been waiting, you've been waiting, you've been waiting 38 years. But tonight, Jesus is bringing wellness. He's bringing wholeness. It's who he is, it's what he does. Father, in Jesus' name, if that's you and you're saying, Pastor Clay, I, I, I've been waiting. This, this word was for me. I never know who it's for. I just gotta preach it like the Lord gives it. But, but you're saying, man, I, that's, that's me. I, I want to receive. I wanna look upon Jesus again. I'm asking for wellness and wholeness. I've been waiting on something. I've been so discouraged. I've fallen into despair. I have fallen into hopelessness. And I've even had moments perhaps of chucking up to God. Lord, you've got this much long. I've tried to put timelines on God. I've tried to put stipulations on God. It just hasn't worked. My own formulas haven't worked. I've tried to conjure up so many different things. None of it's worked. But tonight you're saying, I'm just gonna fix my eye. It's so simple. It seems like it's too easy. There's no way that could possibly be the answer. But I'm here to tell you, just fix your eyes again on Jesus. He's the one that knows the end from the beginning. He sees exactly where you're at. He can move at a moment's notice. He takes no delight in your pain. He is not some sadistic God who takes enjoyment seeing you squirm and, and seeing you struggle and seeing you go through a hard time. I, I, you, some of you need to know He wants your healing. He wants your answer even more than you do. But He is also a God that is working things together. He is working all things together for good. There's, there's a testimony that is coming of his faithfulness and his goodness. All we have to do in the process is I'm just gonna demonstrate joy. I'm gonna demonstrate faithfulness. I'm gonna demonstrate love. And like, even though it's not coming immediately, there's still so much that we can display for everyone who is watching us. If that's you, I just want you to be bold enough to lift your hand. I'm gonna pray for you right now. Amen. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. For more information about Celebration Church or to get in touch with us, please visit celebration.org.